Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. Sonos has announced that it will be stopping support for some of its legacy products and that while they'll still work, they won't be getting any more updates. Pocket Dan Grabham joins me to discuss what it means for Sonos speaker users and hardware generally in the future. Late last year, I hosted a couple of fireside chats with some of the speakers at ZeroCon in London and used my backstage pass access to catch up with Gary Turner, the co-founder and managing director of the company. Zero is an accounting software package that many small businesses around the world use, and I was interested to hear how the company is embracing technology like AI and trying to help them chase late payments and make that easier. And fresh back from Amsterdam, Rick gives us his first thoughts on the new Philips 855 OLED TV range with this AI-driven picture processing and ambilight technology. But first, back to you, Dan. Tell us more about how this affects Sonos users. So Sonos has said that they're going to discontinue um, several devices that they they consider legacy. That means outdated, I guess, in anyone's sort of normal language. Mm. Um, a lot of a lot of the issue around this is that although they won't update those older products, they'll still work. Um, but you know that's been sort of not communicated spectacularly well. Part of the issue as well is that as well as not updating older products. If you've got them on the same system as newer products, those newer products won't receive updates, and that has that has caused quite a lot of anger on on Twitter and other places um, from Sonos users. Um, you can sort of isolate those older products on 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 your system and and still get updates for the new products, but that's not something that that a lot of people are going to do. Um, so there's there, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of issues there around the future updating of products generally i think and how old are we talking about these devices when they're when they're talking of you know legacy device is it is it something that's fairly recent or is it is it a long time ago no we are talking quite old products really generally um uh, some of the, those devices are up to 13 years old um the sort of newest is probably the the, the play 5 gen 1 which um has been was replaced by the gen 2 in 2015 um so there's you know that's four and a half years or so um that that, that that's that's been around um so there were there are you know there are issues maybe you know in, in the future with a with a with a speaker for example are you only going to be able to um you know uh, stream certain content to it or um are you only going to be use, able to use certain services with it? And I think that's a, that that's a big issue around smart home technology generally, the kind of lifespan of, of them, and also um, whether you whether you receive updates and whether you have the right to receive updates. I mean, uh, the, the, there's no sort of guarantee when you buy, uh, I don't know, a, a ring doorbell, for example, of how long you're going to get software updates for. Um, but you do expect that to work until it, you know, falls off the wall and breaks or whatever um and i suppose you know, that's the that's the problem here isn't it is that if it were if we were talking about a mobile phone or something within that sort of almost disposable space 
you you know we wouldn't be having this conversation if it was the original samsung galaxy you know or the iphone 3gs which is around about the same sort of time as some of these products were sort of put on sale you know if i said oh man apple have stopped supporting the the 3gs you'd be like and like why aren't you <laughs> haven't you upgraded at some point since then but i suppose with speakers or as you said smart home devices or whatever you don't expect to to have to think about a life cycle for them when they appearingly still work perfectly today the way that they worked 10 years ago absolutely and it's different expectations around different hardware isn't it um you know people expect a a, a speaker to work uh, forever and maybe you know some speakers you would still be able to bluetooth to them but as i as i mentioned just now you know you might not be able to get certain services on them say say uh spotify change spotify connect um as a as an entire system um you know there'll be loads of loads of speakers that suddenly didn't you know didn't work with that i mean that's an unlikely scenario obviously but i mean you know you're it's sort of not within your control as to how long you're going to be able to use these products for and i think that's that that's a that's a big thing i think actually smart tvs are a, an issue for this because the lifespan of a tv is obviously quite long um you know there there's some evidence to say that those lifespans are shrinking as people upgrade to 4k and whatever but it's it's interesting to to, to see that that you know that we might not get uh, a TV by now might not be able to support the services of five years time, 10 years time. Um, and some people will be using a TV that they bought last Black Friday in 10 years time. That's, you know, that's mm. the, way, the way TVs are. Um, so say it doesn't support Netflix, for example, say there's a there's a different version of the app by then or whatever. Um, you know, that that's a that's quite a big issue, isn't it? That, 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 that the sort of industry needs to figure out. And I suppose that... Again, the problem here is perhaps is that, as you say, it's perception in that sense that it's if you look at the way that we use our phones, you upgrade, you're happy to upgrade because you can see a tangible difference in in what you're upgrading to. It's a better camera or it's a better screen or it's a foldable device or, or what have you. And and with TVs, it's a similar sort of approach. You've, you know, most people have probably upgraded their television, not because it stopped working, but because they wanted to get HD or they wanted to get 3D or they wanted to get 4K or, you know, eventually at some point it'll be they want to get 8K or, or, or something along those lines. With a speaker, you know, Sonos's premise has always been that sense of it's just, it's one button away from playing music. And that trying to tell people to upgrade their speaker when it kind of produces just as good a sound as it did 10 years ago as it does today it perhaps is a harder harder sell that said uh, personally i don't think that sonos has been very good at communicating this message at all in any way shape or form especially since at christmas we had the the whole bricking incident about recycling as well yeah absolutely and they they the email that um, I saw that some customers had put on put on Twitter said uh, uh, products in your system will be classified as legacy, which, you know, isn't a, isn't a word that most people would use for sort of outmoded equipment. Um, and it and it actually said this will affect your listening experience, which actually isn't true. If you've just got if, if you've got a system and you're happy with it, it's going to continue to work. Obviously, we don't necessarily know for how long, you know, that, that is that doubt that people have got in their minds, perhaps looking at these products going forward that you know perhaps they it is a you know you're buying it for five years ten years whatever but you're certainly not into the realms of um you know buying 
like you like you would have bought, bought an old old fashioned hi fi system or a TV in the past or whatever that actually is going to is, is going to last. And so, are we expecting more Sonos gear to be affected over the coming years? Well, we know that the Play Three has gone um, off sale relatively recently, um, and so that that you know that could be the the potential next step, I guess, in terms of uh, of lacking support. Um, I guess the the real issue is do I mean do do manufacturers need to actually come up with a date that says okay, we've got this, you know, five-year five year lifespan we'll guarantee you updates for. You know, we've seen a bit of that in the mobile phone space where um, some people have guaranteed updates for two years or whatever. Mm. Um, perhaps perhaps we do need something like that, some guarantee like that. And I think, you know, even, even ecosystems like Amazon's Alexa or whatever – Perhaps we need we, we need we need similar similar time time scales for those as well because who's to say that an Alexa device that you bought last year will be supported in six or seven years time you know it, Alexa will still be around then I'm sure but you know it's, it'll be it's a different ball game if suddenly you got to got to upgrade you've got to buy a new buy a new device and I, I, you know I, I think I think the industry does need to sort that out really. Still to come, Rick gives us his first impressions on the newly announced Philips 855 OLED TV. We're looking at these new TVs with the full three-sided Ambilight in full force is just extraordinary. Founded in 2006, Xero is one of the leading accounting software companies in the world, allowing thousands of businesses to manage their finances through the company's online app. Joining in 2009, Gary Turner is responsible for the business operations across Europe, the Middle East and Africa and has grown Xero in the UK from a three-person team with an annual revenue of just £50,000 to more than £40 million in 2018. But how has the world of small business accounting changed? How is AI impacting businesses and what's in store for the future? I started by asking Gary to describe, in a nutshell, what Xero actually does. Xero uh, belongs to a category of software that's really emerged in the last 10 or 15 years, often called SaaS or cloud. So basically, the kind of thing you would run on a PC, uh, but now you access it through a web browser, a common uh, kind of people in this space would be Salesforce and CRM applications and email and Gmail and Xero is an, an accounting application. So small businesses that look to manage their finances, invoicing, cash flow, keeping on top of everything a small business would need, accesses Xero through a web browser or on their smartphone or tablet, and it manages all of their, their accounting. Now, Xero has been going for a long time, originally started in New Zealand. Uh, I know you co-founded the UK Arm. What, what made you get involved in the first place? So I've been in this industry. I've been in small business software my entire career. Um, and uh, understand understand what, what, what the many problems that small businesses face and how technology can help that. What, what was interesting, though, about the idea of doing zero was it happened just after the point that running software in a web browser became feasible. If you can imagine prior to 2004, 2005, using an online email app or using something where you'd have to key in information or even just buying something online, you would complete your entry and you'd then press commit or send and then the screen might go blank. And if it was a good service, it might say, if nothing happens in 10 seconds, then click here. 
And that might be okay if you're buying books or booking a holiday, but not really applicable or suitable for an intensive task like accounting and, and, and financial management. But about 2005, that changed and browser architecture and the responsiveness that you could build on a browser mm. became something that really supported a kind of rich desktop application. And so the idea of really realizing that and serving a huge market opportunity. I mean, in the UK, there's 5.8 million businesses, many of whom are relying on either old, outdated desktop software or even just on spreadsheets. And so it was the combination of a huge technology change and finally been able to service that huge small business need. And that was the inspiration for Zero. Now, a lot of accountants will tell you that quite a lot of what they do is incredibly repetitive. And over the last couple of years, and certainly moving forward into the next decade, we, there's a lot of talk about AI taking away repetitiveness and all the other stuff. How much do you think AI is works in here in in zero to to take away some of that repetitive stuff, or are you using it for greater insights and, and beyond? So I think it's still early, uh, and, and it's important to perhaps take a bit of a step back before I answer that and the, the, the concept of automating repetitive, repetitive tasks or business processes is not new. It came in with the mainframes in the 1950s and, and, and has been happening for decades now. It's only just in the last five or six years that it's become that bit more sophisticated where we have such large um, data pools and data sets as more and more businesses become digital, that the application of more sophisticated automation techniques is becoming viable. And so applying machine learning models in a business context across large data sets will certainly drive the next level of automation to a degree, but will also give us the opportunity to start arriving at the kinds of insights that only AI and much more sophisticated and heavy processor-driven processes can actually arrive at. And so definitely insights, but equally still a large part of it will be just automating tedious and mundane tasks. And that's, I suppose, one of the things when you talk about insights is this ideology of there is you know, a lot of data being collected and processed and inputted and outputted in an application like Xero. How do you even start to fathom you know, what's interesting from an insight point of view to a business or, or not without getting sort of lost in just you know, the level and, and magnitude of data available? So it's interesting. Um, I mean, hypothetically... You can imagine vast amounts of data in your business about your finances, about the, the ebbs and flows of how your business is yeah. performing, and you could derive really rich insights um, for, for, based upon that. However, um, the first order problem is before you can get great insights, you actually need to get great data. And, um, and unfortunately, for a vast number of businesses, even those that are using software and using technology, the old maxim of garbage in, garbage out still applies. And so a lot of our work, as much as it's thinking about what are the rich insights that we can deliver, is actually just cleaning up the data. It's completing the data. There's no point having 60% of your financial information in a database and not 100%. That would fundamentally derive a completely erroneous insight. And so a big part of the job, I think, for the next, certainly the next decade, will be to get businesses using software, get businesses using cloud technology, get as much of their business 
paperwork in their transaction information into one centralized place, get it cleaned up, and then you can begin to not just manage your your kind of retrospective affairs like paying your VAT and keeping on top of your, your accounts, but then you can start hypothesizing about where your next business decision should be focused on. And so uh, a, a lot of cleaning up and a lot of completion of data sets before you can actually hypothesize about where the, where tomorrow's going. And do you think, having just been to Xericon, there was that sort of, which is your annual conference, there was a sort of feeling that the average accountant or bookmaker now is is kind of being asked to be more than just a data inputter in that sort of sense of almost being a virtual financial director. Do you think that's that's something that you're seeing across you know, the majority of your customers in that sense of people, you know, entrepreneurship is rife. People want to just get on and create new ideas. And yet they sort of need a, a helping hand from someone. Uh, do you think that's something that's that's becoming a thing? Definitely. Uh, it, it couldn't really have happened before now. When you think of the old way that accountants or bookkeepers would engage with small businesses. It was usually very periodic, usually about a week before the tax return was due, um, and, and certainly not very digital. And, and all of those um, factors will have just completely stopped in its tracks any hope an accountant would have of being much more than just a tax return file or certainly not a business coach. Um, but now when we have an increasing preference for cloud technology and your data is cleaner and more complete, uh, then the job of compliance simply becomes uh, a secondary task, not a primary task. And that then also enables the accountant to then start helping you um, make decisions about where you should be focusing your time in your business. And so this idea of a virtual CFO, uh, which was a theory before, has certainly become much more popular in the last few years. Where do you see, and that's obviously one trend that seems to be happening at the moment, where, where do you see the big trends in this space are going to be for 2020 and beyond? So I think the big trends for the next decade will, will certainly be about digitizing significant parts, if not all, of the economy. I think long gone are the days when, when an entrepreneur sets up in business and decides to run everything on paper, never mind um running on old technology. And so I think we see a huge adoption of mobile technology. People are habitually you know, accustomed to using um, cloud-based systems and tools, but there's still a lot of work to do. Perhaps the early adopters are working in that way, but there's still a huge part of the economy that's working in 1980s, 1990s technology. So a big, a big conversion job, I guess, in the next decade, um, just getting everybody up, up to date. Uh, and obviously, there's legislation around tax filing that's 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 driving it up from government. And, and thereafter, once once businesses get on top of their finances and understand what their business is actually doing day to day or week to week, uh, then they can actually take a more active interest in where they should be, perhaps raising capital to invest, hire more people, buy another van for deliveries, branch out in another area. For many businesses, they never get the luxury of that because they're just so busy playing catch up. And so I think businesses will be making much more informed decisions about where they should be spending their time and their focus, largely aided by technology, getting them up to date with everything. And what do you think is is next for Zero? How are you addressing those concerns or, or needs of people? Uh, one one of the one of the, the the again really mundane aspects of this before we get onto the shiny toys of predictive analytics and where the future might be going, um, you've got to get your data into some 
um, system to start with and actually not just some of your data mm-hmm. and some of your paperwork, but everything. And so a big focus for us is actually just getting small businesses digitized, collating and ingesting as much paperwork, as many pieces of paper that come in the door, invoices and bills that are floating around and trying to grab as much of that and digitize it and get it into a a format that's then readily um, useful for compliance purposes, keeping on top of your cash flow and just working out where you are today before you can even think about tomorrow. And, And the reality is most businesses are still on that journey. And so we're spending a lot of time both Uh, driving the creation of services that will ingest as much data and information about a business activity as possible at the same time as removing the necessary complexity of accounting. Accounting is still quite an impenetrable subject for many entrepreneurs and business owners. It needn't be. And there are ways that we can use design and, and technology and automation to kind of draw a veil over some of that necessary complexity so that I don't need to be an accountant or a bookkeeper to run my business. In fact, I don't even need to handle paperwork. It'll all happen automatically. All of my banking information is coming in. All of my purchases are coming in automatically. And then I have an accountant who's sitting beside me virtually helping me understand what's happening in my business and helping me make the best possible decisions. And so we think there's a huge amount to do still uh, and it may not be the most glamorous aspect of software or software development, but when you consider there are 5.8 million businesses in the UK, and the vast majority of them really don't know where they stand day to day when it comes to their financials, if we can solve that, then we think we have a shot at solving the big productivity challenges that the economy faces as a whole. If we can make all small businesses 5% more productive, that has huge implications for the economy. And we think that's really exciting. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the idea of as running a business myself. The idea of not having to worry about paperwork would be would be fantastic. <laughs> it's like a dream come true. Um, the final tough question I have for you, which is probably the toughest one at all, is is why the X in zero? I'd love to say there's a there's a really elegant um, romantic backstory to that. Um, the, the the design criteria for the domain name uh, was that it had to be four letters long. Um, ideally begin with an A so that we would appear at the top of every alphabetically sorted list, so online directories of products. So we fundamentally failed <laughs> on that one. Um, and somebody found that the domain zero was available. Um, it sounded kind of mathematical. It certainly sounded like it fitted an accounting software business. And it was a dormant fan site for a band called Zero who had launched as Zero and then changed their name to Lincoln Park. And so Lincoln Park, before they were Lincoln Park, were known as Zero. Somebody registered a fan site. Um, they stopped using the name and the website wasn't being used. And we were able to convince the owner to sell it to us. And so that's as interesting as it possibly is. Just gets. think in an alternate dimension, there could have been Arvark accounting. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, we should have, we should have, we should have really worked hard to find to find that one. Philips has introduced the new 805 and 855 OLED TV models at its annual European showcase in Amsterdam. The two new models have a slim metallic build, the tiny bezel you'd expect from a flagship TV in 2020, and will be available in 55 and 65 inches. They'll also feature the new fourth generation version of the company's P5 picture processor. But should you consider one for your next TV purchase? Pocalint's Rick Henderson is here to tell us his first impressions, having literally just got off the plane, and also how that all-important AI technology works. So, Rick, tell us more. What do you think? 
Yeah, well, I, I got to see both the 805 and the 855 and very similar TVs indeed. It's, the panel is the same. The processing is pretty much the same. In fact, everything's the same apart from the stand. The 855 has a, a sort of like a floating TV effect with a, a single sort of like a, a monopod stand with a, a nice slim bar in front of it, whereas the 805 has two feet. And that is pretty much the difference. What I would say is that the pitch processing does make a massive difference, though. Um, there are also a couple of other features which we'll come to, but the pitch processing ha- this year has artificial intelligence. It's called the P5 processing engine with AI. And the AI is a real game changer because what it has done is it draws on 10 years or more of Philips um, picture processing prowess and data that it has gained all those years of looking at images from from very early on, even before 4K all the way to now. And what it then does is it splits a live image, a live image on the screen into different categories. It is either a face or a picture of nature or a, a darker scene or a motion scene or categorized as other how does that work? Basically, if there's a face on screen and there's something something natural like some trees, it will see that there is nature in that scene. It will see that there's a face in that scene. So then it adjusts the picture processing and the picture imaging, to, uh, uh, including contrast, etc., to match that scene. So it sort of says, well, the best way of approaching this scene would be like this, and then automatically does it for you. So it uses a lot of deep learning, machine learning, and uh, a natural... Uh, a neural network kind of method of adjusting picture imaging. We only got about, uh, you know, 20 minutes with the TV. So it, it's a very brief preview. Um, and there's lots of tweaking to be done before they come out in May. But so far, so good. Now, one of the things that Philips focused on quite heavily in 2019 was all about the sound and their partnership with Bowers and Wilkins. Are we seeing this carry on? Not in the 805 and the 855. Uh, Bowers and Wilkins are not involved in those specific screens. Strangely enough, at the Phillips, same Philips event, we also um, uh, it will continue with the I think it's nine eight four nine three four yeah the, the model from the models from last year that did have uh, Bowers and Wilkins sound systems, but it's actually then introducing Bowers and Wilkins sound systems into. Um, more mid-range LED sets. There are two mid-range uh, LED sets that are coming out in their performance series next year with Bowers and Wilkins sound systems underneath, and they kind of float underneath, don't shake the screen as much, and they're fantastic. But back to the OLEDs, what they have instead is they've introduced um, actual in-display subwoofers and uh, a couple of front f- front-facing speakers. So you get 2.1 sound, but without the bar underneath and the final question i suppose is do you uh, does it look good are you are you impressed so far with what you've seen i'm extremely impressed i'm always impressed by philips oleds um not just because of the panel because if you put like four different oleds from different manufacturers next to each other you'd be hard pushed the pitch processing is obviously different but you'd be hard pushed to really see much change in the quality of picture on those four different panels. What does make a massive difference for me is Ambilight. Now, that was a big message at this um, this convention in the fact that they've now introduced am- three-sided Ambilight on their entire 2020 range, all of the brick 
performance series, LEDs, everything. And we're looking at these new TVs with the full three, three-sided Ambilight in full force is just extraordinary. Well, that's it for this week's show. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you get a moment, can you please give us a five-star rating on a podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you like us too. Until next time, pip pip. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.